Notre Dame fans, welcome to the first ever edition of the Irish Crossover Podcast. My name is Brian Driscoll. I'm the publisher at irishbreakdown.com, and I am joined by Tim Priester from Irish Illustrated. Tim, thank you for joining me on this podcast. We are uh, we figured, hey, what better time for us to do our first Irish Crossover Podcast than Notre Dame versus Clemson. We may be surprising some people here uh, hooking up for this. But, uh, yeah, this is a perfect week for Brian, number one. Good to get a, num- a number one back into Notre Dame Stadium. Unfortunately, we won't have the crowd to go with it. Uh, but that's that's not going to deter from the competition on the field. At the end of the day, that's all that really matters. I think it's a, I think it's a great opportunity for Notre Dame. I, I think that Clemson, uh, this is a um, – you're not going to catch Clemson as vulnerable as they are right now. And I think I would have said that even with Trevor Lawrence coming to Notre Dame Stadium, although that would have made a huge difference. But, um, you know, there's some, there's some holes on the defensive side for Clemson, partly from personnel loss from last year and also partly from some injuries that they're suffering. So great opportunity for Notre Dame here, but a, but a real stiff challenge even without Trevor Lawrence. And that's the thing is this is a team that's going to be very talented across the board. Notre Dame is catching this 2020 Clemson team at a time where, as you mentioned, they are, I wouldn't say it's a, a typical rebuild, like it, like a rebuild is for most teams. It's, 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 but for Clemson, it's a rebuild in that, you know, they lost four starters on the offensive line. They lost T Higgins, the NFL, Justin Ross with his, with his health issues, Tyler Davis, their stud D tackles been banged up. So it's just one of those things. And they were already young to begin with and inexperienced at a lot of key positions. So that doesn't mean they're not good. I, I've made this point, Tim. I'll see if you agree with this. With Trevor Lawrence, I still think they're the first or second best team in the country. Without him, they're still fourth or fifth. I mean, you know, I mean, this is still a really good Clemson yeah. team. Well, I mean, we know there are three teams that, that demarcate themselves from, from everybody else with Ohio State and Alabama and, and, and Clemson. But, yeah, I mean, they had to rebuild their offensive line. You mentioned the receivers. Uh, the defensive line was pretty much intact from last year, but it's not as impactful as the one that Notre Dame faced in 2018. Mm-hmm. And then where they really had, you know, they really had to uh, basically replace their entire secondary, or at least their starting secondary, with the exception of, of uh, Darian uh, Kendrick. So, yeah, it is. Uh, rebuilding for some teams is different for uh, other teams. <laughs> and, and I, you know, a team, a program like Clemson's reloads more than they do rebuild. But, uh, you know, it, it, it is vulnerable. And, uh, well, one area where it's not vulnerable is at running back. I don't know how in the world that Travis Etienne made the decision to come back after rushing for 1,600 yards two years in a row. But uh, I guess he felt like there was some unfinished business with them losing in the national title game. And he's, he's pretty damn special, man. Mm-hmm. He's, he's really good. And, and without Trevor Lawrence, all the focus offensively um, is on ETN. I, I think Amari Rogers has emerged out of the shadows of, of Ross and, and Higgins from the last couple of years and has done some really good things. But uh, there's some chances here for Notre Dame. And they, they – um, you're not going to get this many chances against a Clemson team normally, so it's a great opportunity for that. Now we talk about that opportunity, Tim. This is a this is a number one versus number four team. Uh, I personally like to look at evaluating wins based on what a team is at the end of the year. Uh, that's my personal standard. But I think we can both assume, barring some kind of epic collapse, this is going to be a top ten Clemson team at the end of the year. 
which means Notre Dame has an opportunity to do something it hasn't done in a long time, and we and it hasn't done a lot of in the last twenty years, and that is beat a legitimate top program that's not only top from from a a you know they're good that year like you know like Michigan State in twenty thirteen right where where you know, they were thirteen and one we didn't really know how good they were at the right. time they weren't ranked but but Michigan State's still Michigan State they're not Clemson and so it's not only a really good team. But it's a team like you mentioned, Tim, is there are three programs in college football that year in and year out are just better than everybody else. Clemson's one of them. And Notre Dame has a big offer against those programs during Brian Kelly's tenure. And this is an opportunity for them to go out and, and finally get that W that can be sort of a program-changing kind of win. Yeah, but apparently you can't ask Brian Kelly about that this week because he doesn't want to use this game as a, as a measuring stick, which <laughs> – you know, I'm, I'm getting a lot, I don't know about you, I'm getting a lot of heat for reacting to that, to, to the way that I did, but I know that you reacted exactly the yes, way I did. That, I, did. Uh, I mean, if this isn't a measuring stick, if you don't, if you don't want to be held accountable for a measuring stick game, well, then I guess you will, you will um, compete to put yourself in position mm-hmm. to play for national titles. But mm-hmm. you know what, I don't, I don't want to dwell on that, but I just, that, that stuck in my craw because this, this absolutely is a measuring stick. And, and I get the whole point that if you don't, if you if you win and you're not ready for BC next week, you can lose that game. I, I understand that, but you know, for two weeks you talked about um, you know looking ahead because you had mm-hmm. to play to a higher standard, and now you now you get to this game and you downplay the game. Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't quite understand that. I'm not I'm not answering your question. I'm veering off into a topic that that stuck in my craw to uh, no doubt. But uh, yeah, I mean, Notre Dame has had these opportunities. And they haven't taken advantage of them in bowl games and or uh, a playoff game. And it's, it's really time to do that. If you want to take the next step, if you want to get into that big three, and I think it's, I think it's difficult for everybody to get in that big three. George has probably been the closest, but they haven't had the difference maker uh, at, at, at quarterback. They had a very good quarterback prior to the one that they're using now, but he wasn't in the league of – Trevor Lawrence and what Alabama has put out there and what Ohio state has put out there. So yeah, I, you know, you can't, you can't let this opportunity slip away. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, you're both undefeated. You're at home. You're healthy by and large. Um, you have the, the, you had clearly have the advantage at, at, with experience at quarterback. So you have to take – you really, really have to take advantage of this. Your defense is – I don't think this is a great defense personnel-wise, but I think you have a great defensive coordinator mm-hmm. that gets them to consistently play at a really, really high level. So when you consider you're going against a freshman quarterback, I don't care if he's a six-star quarterback. He's still making his second career start, his first start on the road. And you have to find ways to make him pay for that and, and have him turn the football over once, preferably twice in this setting. But I, I think the tangent you went on, Tim, is appropriate because we've been here before, right? Like what's been one of the big issues that, that I, I think Brian Kelly has had at Notre Dame is his team just does not – just does not win these games. And far too often in these kind of moments, he has down. This isn't the first time Brian Kelly's tried to downplay a game like this. You know, it's always that, hey, they're just, it's just another game. And I've never liked that mentality. We saw that at Michigan. When Notre Dame played at Michigan last year, Michigan treated it like, you know, their season was on the line and Notre Dame treated it like they were playing, you know, uh, you know, Boston College or something. And I do think that 
coaches have to be careful that you don't put so much emotion into a game that your players play out of control. But at the same time, the great coaches also use the emotion that they know their players are going to have. You're not going to convince your team that this is not a big game. So stop trying to do that. And and I've had people, this is a response people said to me, Tim. Well, look, he's just saying that to you guys, but what he's saying is to his team is, well, I can't necessarily agree with that or disagree with that because I don't know. But what I do know is how his team has played in these moments, and they have not played like the kind of loose team that, that's playing with the fire and the emotion and the energy of their opponents. And, and the only time we've really seen them do that was back, I think, in 2014 against Florida State is I think that was a confident team that really played loose and played like they had nothing to lose. And I think you, you know, I think he should have a mentality that kind of like Dabo Swinney has, which is, you know, use, take any example, any opportunity you have to kind of create a us against the world mentality and, and embrace the moment. Because I think he has a team that, that in, in many areas would be willing to rise to that occasion, especially on defense. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, in this day and age, when you say something to the media, your team knows about mm-hmm. it. Not, not that they're watching Brian Kelly's press mm-hmm. conferences, but it's not, it's not something that you can just conceal. I, I think it's important for a coach to be accountable publicly. I tried to do that when I was coaching uh, on, on my level, that, you know, if, if you take accountability, I think your players uh, respond to that. And I just thought some of those those comments were like pushing accountability off to somebody else. Um, and I you brought up the Michigan game, and I, I you know I don't want to dwell on this too much because at the end of the day on Saturday night, what's said in a press conference probably isn't going to have any impact whatsoever on the outcome of the game. But you brought up the Michigan game, and I can remember on the Monday after the Michigan game, I asked a question about the Michigan game. And his response was, aren't we going to move on to who was mm-hmm. back the next week? Mm-hmm. You know, he, want, he wanted to move on. I, I, I just – I think that that lacks a little bit of accountability. However, um, I think that he's going to have them in the right frame of mind mm-hmm. Saturday night. I think the changes that he's made within his program since the, the 2016 season in terms of having a, for lack of a better term, quote, mental coach mm-hmm. that works with players about how to, you know, not, don't get too high – don't get too low. I think that that's contributed significantly. I really do. I think that's contributed significantly to the success that they've had in the last three and a half seasons. I think, um, I think I just want to interrupt you there, Tim, because I want to add to that because I think that mentality right there is why when we watch and cover Notre Dame, I don't, I don't know how you are on this, but I'm, I'm willing to bet you knowing you like I do that you believe what I believe. That mentality has, is why we don't worry about them losing to Pitt anymore or Tulsa or Navy or because right. the, the problem for, for many years, and this was during the Willingham, Davy, Weiss, and early in Kelly is they would beat Oklahoma one week or they would beat a Michigan State the one week and then go lose to uh, an average pit team or Tulsa or Navy. And Brian Kelly deserves a lot of credit for the fact that he has the program now where those games are almost kind of like, like a couple examples, the Virginia Tech game last year you talked about, the Pitt game in 2018. Those are games pre-2017 Notre Dame lost. There's no doubt in my mind. There's I no even doubt. think Northwestern in 2018, when Northwestern blocked that punt to make it a three-point game in the fourth quarter, past Notre Dame teams under Brian Kelly would have folded and lost. No, and that, I, that team went right down the field and scored a touchdown. I give him credit for that. No, I, I agree. And, I, and I, am, I am really impressed with the way that he has learned how 
to control his emotions during games. I mean, mm-hmm. people still people talk about the purple face Brian Kelly. Well, good God, that was nine years ago. Yeah, let it go. You know, I mean that. Yeah, I mean that 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 he's he's learned how to remain under control during a game, and that has helped him. He's learned mm-hmm. how to go into the locker room at halftime and not be all pissed off and you know and 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 rip into him. He he remains calm. His team remains calm, and that's why they win the games that you say. Look, I defend. I, you know, to, to be talking about some of these things with Brian Kelly, it, I, I defend him almost all the time. Mm-hmm. It just, it was just something that really stuck in my craw mm-hmm. Monday, which I thought was inappropriate. I think he's done a marvelous job since 2016. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's literally, he's, they're not in that top three, but they are right in that next pack of teams contending and competing for, for the playoffs. So I, I give him all the credit in the world for the adjustments that he's made mid course in his coaching career, which I think is really, really difficult to do. Mm-hmm. It's easier to do when you're four and eight. And if you don't make changes, you're going to get fired. Well, that's but, true. but we've seen coaches in the past that have said, Hey, it was just a down year. I'm not going to fire assistants. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And you're going to have to fire me. And, and, and they get fired. I mean, David Cutcliffe went through something like that at Ole Miss and he said, no, I'm not going to make changes. And so, so they let him go. So, I mean, I, I think he gets credit for that. I, I think the thing for me is, you know, you talk about how far he's brought it we're now having conversations about how going 11 and two last year for me was a disappointing season. We would have not have had that conversation for the 20 years prior to 2017. We yeah. Just, well, I mean, we wouldn't have. Yeah. It was disappointing from the standpoint that you, I mean, you were emotionally, obviously you were unprepared to play Michigan that mm-hmm. night for whatever reason. I mean, you had a lot of things conspiring against you, mm-hmm. including Jim Harbaugh and Michigan's back was totally up against the wall and they had to win the football game. Mm-hmm. And then the weather conditions and being on the road, it's et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, maybe, maybe we should. T- <laughs> but that's my, but that's my thing, and that's where <laughs> let's, let's bring it back to this Clemson game. That that is the thing, though, that I do think there needs to be some level of we have to maintain some sort of 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 consistency from an emotional standpoint because consistency from a focus and emotional standpoint can leads to more consistency from a from an execution standpoint. However that is also something that will get you beat when the team you're playing is on your level or slightly better. And that's the next, the final step for Brian Kelly. And cause let's be honest, the, the complaint that I have with Brian Kelly is that he's not taking him to that next level that I think Notre Dame is capable of getting to. We're not talking about whether he should be fired and, and he's just like Charlie. No, that's not the conversation we're having is it's Ken Brian Kelly going to that next yeah. level. And what's going to take them to that next level is him figuring out, in, in this week in the comp the statement he made to you is a perfect not to you but during the press conference that yeah. you brought up earlier is an example of what I'm talking about which is there are some games and, and you and, and I would like for you to speak on this from from your time covering Lou Holtz for example during the last golden era of Notre Dame football is there are some games that you have to understand are bigger than the others and you have to embrace that and use that and harness it. And I felt like as a young fan of Notre Dame, I felt Lou Holtz was the master of harnessing that. I feel like Urban Meyer was the master of harnessing that. Because if you look at Ohio State or during Urban Meyer, they never lost to Michigan. They only had one loss to Penn State. Right. They never lost the big games. They would get beat by Iowa or, or Purdue, you know. Purdue, but they were yeah. always ready for those big moments. And to me, that's that final – step that Brian Kelly has to figure out how to harness that emotion from a game and turn it into a healthy emotion and not to where you're just not able to match a Clemson or a Georgia's 
energy and emotional level. Yeah, I wouldn't be overly concerned on his part right now about Notre Dame being too sky high to play Clemson. I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, you talk about what's important now, what's important next. It's 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 that. It's you have to win this game. It's a great. Mm-hmm. It's a huge opportunity. It's right there for you. You have a vulnerable opponent. You have to uh, take advantage of it. Talking about Boston College, yeah, okay. You you've got to you you've got to revamp. You've got to come back home. You got to get back in control of your emotions. But worry about that next week. This right. is a this is a this is a hugely important game. Again, not not you're going to fire Brian Kelly if he right. doesn't win it. It's not that's not the point. But if you truly want to get to the next level, this is an opportunity. Trevor Lawrence or no Trevor Lawrence, hell of that. That doesn't that doesn't matter. It's still number one, Clemson. You've got to beat this football team. Uh, and I think, you know, I mean, my feeling after after um, the Georgia Tech game was that Ian Book's still not playing well enough in order to beat Clemson. Mm-hmm. My feeling as the week goes on and continue to study Clemson like you do throughout the week on film is, okay, there's a chance here now. They're mm-hmm. not as good there. They're not, and we're going to talk about some of those matchups. They're not as good there. They're not as good there. You're better here. Maybe Notre Dame's not as good as they were then, but they're better in this way. There's a there, there are some opportunities here to make some real inroads against a Clemson team that deserves to be number one, but has a couple chinks in the armor that you can take advantage of. They're vulnerable to to teams like Notre Dame. Again, we're talking about two top five to eight caliber teams. I think teams. anytime you trot out a defense like Clark Lee's mm-hmm. that, that can shut anybody down at any time, you've got a chance to win just about any game that you play in. And I think that, you know, uh, I think my first thought when, when, we, when we heard that, that uh, what is it, DJ Uengalele is my best chance at saying that name was going to start this game was, well, the last time, a, you know, a freshman came to Notre Dame, it was, it was Jake Fromm and they won that yeah. game. But, but that was game two of the post-16 remake. You know, that, that was game two of the Mike Elko Clark Lee defense. That was game yeah, two of the Chip Longs. They weren't they weren't, a lot of points that night. They were also and they were also game two of the Matt Bayless strength. I mean, so so you're now talking about you're you're now deep into who you are. And and I think that's a reason why, you know, Notre Dame is on a you and I talked about this last week. They're on a great run of playing run defense which was a problem for the first two and a half years of this coaching staff is problem relative to the best teams, not problem relative to how bad they were when they yeah. took over. Well, we're going to find out how good they are against the run. Exactly. <laughs> and that's the kind of thing is like, you know, it's be, you're now four years into this thing. And, and, and that's what I think is making this defense so good. Kyle Hamilton's a, could be eventually a first round pick. I think Jeremiah Wusu is in that conversation, but this isn't a team that's loaded with like the, the first and second round talent of no. the 2018 Clemson defense, for example, where I think three of their four starting off defensive linemen were first round picks that not eventually like they were freshmen and became first round picks. They were first round picks a few months after that game. Right. Right. You know? And, and so, but what makes this team so good is you have a defense at, that, that 11 men, men at a time, across the board, uh, depth-wise, you can now say they play great team defense. And in that regards, I think they do kind of remind me of some of the the early great Lou Holtz defenses that had the Pat Terrells and, and a couple of the bigger-name NFL guys. But those were a lot of just grinders, that, and they just played great team defense. And I think that's what makes this team uh, so much better. Is maybe they don't have a Julian Aguara up front. And there's no Jerry Tillery on this defensive line. 
But 11, 11 on 11, I do think this is a defense that gives you a chance to keep Clemson's points down enough when, when you consider they don't have T. Higgins and Justin Ross and right. Hunter Renfro and four returning starting offensive linemen like they had in 2018. I think this 2020 Notre Dame defense is the living example of the sum is greater than its parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And anybody that's been in coaching knows that when you there, there's nothing more thrilling when you sit back and you realize that the collection of the people that you've just put out on the field is even greater than, mm-hmm. you know, than, than that individual and that individual. Uh, clearly, Wusu Koromoa and Kyle Hamilton are going to spend a lot of time, you know, playing professional football and getting paid for it. How many guys beyond that, on that starting defense, can you say that about? But here's the difference, Tim, to your point, is the 2012 defense had guys like that, Stephon Tewitt, Lewis sure. Nix, Manti Teo. But the difference between this defense and that defense is maybe that defense was better one through four, but this defense is better five through 11. And then beyond that, 12 through 19. Right, because Diaco wasn't trying to wasn't trying to build or, or couldn't. I, I Maybe it's better. Couldn't build the depth that they – Right, because when you brought Lewis Nix off the field, you are putting Tony Springman in the game. Right, right. You know, right. you were putting – you know, you had – and beside Manti Taylor, you had Dan Fox. You know, you had Danny Spahn, who's a, who's a gamer, a grinder. But I like you know, Danny Spahn's game. Yeah, and he was a key part of that, that yeah. football team. But you had Bennett Jackson was a, you know, a good player, but he was still kind of developing as a corner. He had a true freshman at Kovari Russell. Matthias yeah. Farley was thrust into the lineup, you know, when Jamora Slaughter went down. Down. Zeke Mata would have, would be a rover in today's defense you know so you had some stars but Notre Dame not only is better at the bottom of the starting lineup this team can and this is this is where I think Mike Elson deserves a lot of credit is they throw away I don't even pay attention who's in a defensive tackle anymore Tim I, I don't like during the game yeah. live I don't yeah. really pay attention who's at, like oh okay that guy's in the game because you they don't may see try a to, difference either way you just don't it's yeah. just like it doesn't matter who they put in they're just they're gonna get I mean Saturday I mean one of the biggest plays against Georgia Tech when the game was in doubt was a third and two play where it was Justin Adamiola stoning the tackle shedding the block and then making the tackle and part of the reason he was able to make that place because it was Jacob Lacey that stoned the guard and and didn't give the back room to run and we've seen multiple times this year I think of the fourth down play on the first series of the game of the season against Duke they had their backup defensive line on the field on that fourth down play he has he's shown enough faith that I'm not going to rotate my guys out that I have that I've planned to be in the game because it's a third and two and, and to have that kind of depth, that's the biggest difference for me beyond, you know, the, the, type, the scheme and some other things that makes this team so good is and makes them so able to match up is just the depth of talent. Even maybe they don't have a man tie or they don't have a Stefan to it, but the depth of talent on this defense is what makes them just yeah, so good. You know, and you empower players when you, when you put them in that situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, he, they regularly go to their third third string defensive tackles in the first quarter, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you empower players when you do that. And, and, and what he has done now is what the greater defenses do the what Brett Venables does. I mean, I, I yeah, we watch a lot of film this week, Brian, there's a lot of, there's a lot of guys to be uh, accounting to account for when you're studying the, the Clemson defense. Cause man, he play he plays even more players than, mm-hmm. than, than what uh, Clark Lee is. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that that's, that's great. I, I, when they started, you know, a couple of years ago, when they started rotating, uh, more players in, I remember my first or like early in the game when, um, when Mike Elko was still the coordinator, I'm like, man, you sure you want to be, 
you sure you want to be throwing those guys out there in the first quarter? But you see the, the method to the mm-hmm. quote madness because mm-hmm. in the long haul, as I said, you empower these guys, you build that depth, and it gets to the point where just what you said, you're not even paying attention mm-hmm. which defensive tackles are out there because the right. level of play will remain strong. Right, and a guy like Kurt Heinisch is probably not an NFL player. If he is, he's probably an undrafted free agent at best, a seventh-round pick. But if you now look at it, he was one of those guys you talk about. Like, do you really want to throw Kurt Heinisch on the game against uh, Georgia in the first quarter? But now, four years later, Kurt Heinisch has played a lot of football. And and he knows his role, and he he does it very well. And I think when you look at this matchup, Tim, to me, when we talk about Notre Dame having a chance to win, that is where it starts for me. And, and we'll talk a lot about the, the Clemson offensive skill players, but that's Notre, if Notre Dame doesn't win that battle, then I think they're going to have a hard time winning this game because I don't think they can win a shootout with Clemson. Even though I think Clemson's defense is vulnerable, Notre Dame has not shown me the, the explosiveness or the, the playmaking ability to be a team that can – consistently go up and down the field with a team like Clemson. Right. So they're going to have to keep the points down. And I mean 27, 24. I'm not talking about, you know, holding them to 10. That is the matchup where I say that's where Notre Dame, to me, has the biggest advantage, is their defensive line against the Clemson offensive line. And it's a it's a talented group. Mac Bock, of course, is a good player. Will Putnam's a good player. But uh, it's a very inexperienced group that's still having a little bit of trouble – it's, they're a lot like the 2018 Notre Dame offensive line was, Tim, where you know you could see the talent, but there was always one guy not doing his job you know, or, or two guys not yeah. quite on the right page. And that's what I see a lot of from Clemson, and that's why their running game, honestly, just has not been nearly as good this season as it has been in previous seasons. No, it hasn't, and it shows up mainly in their backup running backs as opposed mm-hmm. to ETN. ETN mm-hmm. doesn't need a whole lot of room to be – successful i would agree with that i said early in the week my first impression was that clemson's offensive line was underrated and what i meant was i really where i really like their offensive line is i love their cohesion as a pass protection pass Mm -hmm. blocking offensive line run blocking is a little bit more problematic because Mm -hmm. they they had to transition on the offensive line uh this year but etn you know, makes up for a lot of blemishes there. Uh, and yet even even he, I don't think, is, is, uh, is rushing numbers or his he's, average he's, per carry. He's just under, under 100 a game, and he's at 5.9 a carry. Now, a lot of people would be happy with a 5.9 right. yards per carry, right. but he was right. at 7.9 last year, and I think right. 8.1 the year before that. So, so they're not yeah. as good. They're, no, they're, they're not as good of a run-blocking team, and, and I agree that you have to – with the the that way the wave of defensive linemen that you can throw at them, um, you know the things that Owusu Koromoa does up front. And talking about an eraser, you know you you can a play can start out and you can have a problem right after the snap, and he can mm-hmm. he can rectify that problem uh, pretty quickly. How about this, Brian? You got a you got a starting buck linebacker with six tackles. <laughs> how in the how in the world are you the number? Yeah, that's I mean, been their one weak spot with yeah. one with the exception of one game uh, that's been a weak spot for me and and that's where that's where you know we talked a lot about Jeremiah Owusu Kormo and, and what he can impact that's to me where Kyle Hamilton has the biggest impact that reminds me a lot of that that buck situation reminds me a lot of the Mike linebacker situation in 2015 not not Joe Schmidt 2014 before I'm talking post injury Joe Schmidt 
they had to do a lot of things with him to use Jalen Smith to protect him. Yeah. And I think they're doing some of that right now with Shane Simon. It's a little different because with Shane Simon, it's not a physical thing. It's a, a, it's a robotic thing is the way that I would put it is, is he just doesn't show the instincts to say, you know, if you say drop at a 45 degree angle, he's going to drop exactly at a 45 degree angle. There's no nuance. There's no, you know, he just doesn't have that same feel to, to really explode. He's going to, he's going to, you know, he gets blocked a little too easy. Although I did think he played a little bit more aggressively against Georgia tech. And I'm, and I'm, I have to think that Clark Lee sees something and practiced him that we haven't seen in games yet. And he's waiting for it to show up in games because there's plenty of options there, you know, for, but they continue to, they continue to throw him out there. So they must see something month, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, that they're hoping starts well, flashing on Saturday. That's, that's the way I feel about it. I mean, I, I'll, I'll question it. I'll bring it up. This is what we do for a living every day. So we talk about good things, bad things. Uh, if he's going to keep running Shane Simon out there, there must be a, a real valid reason for it. I, I thought I, – I know what you're saying about his performance against Georgia Tech, but I thought he missed run fits. Uh, and, mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, I, I, thought he, I thought he was a little misguided. Yeah. In, 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 he was in more front. aggressive, though. That was my I, thing. I hear, I hear what you're yeah. saying. But do you – like, don't you just think that in the long run, Jack Kaiser is going to be a better buck linebacker than – I, I mean, pick a, pick a buck. I mean, that's my, I mean, every buck that we've seen is, has played better than Shane Simon so far. I mean, Jack Lamb played one game against South Florida, and I thought in that game he played right. more aggressively. Le- Leofau has a, has a lot of physical ability that I think will eventually show up too. I, right. I just, I, he's not I, a 60-snap guy yet, though. From an no, ex, he, he's no, going to no, make no. a lot of mistakes. And, and he's going to miss a lot of run fits now too. Yeah, you have, you have to um, – at some point in time, that faith in Shane Simon has to start paying off with better play. Yeah. And, and the fact that you and I are having this conversation about how I'm justifying, I'm just looking for some, some silver lining, you know? So it's like, yeah, well, you I know, you. he didn't get blocked four yards down the field this game. He got blocked at the line of scrimmage. You know, and that's where they're at. And look, Clemson's a smart, I mean, Tony Elliott's a really good young football coach. And he's going to find ways to try to exploit that. And, and Notre Dame's going to have to have some answers. And I don't know yeah. what those answers are, yeah. um, but, you know, other than – because you, you also don't want to get in a situation where you can't you, – you know, if you get in a situation against a team like this where you have to protect him a little bit more than you did against Georgia Tech, now you've taken your, your – arguably your, your, your second best, if not best weapon – that is being Kyle Hamilton, and now you're using him to protect something as opposed to using him yeah, to be a playmaker. And that's, that's when ETN snaps off a run. That's when right. You, when you start getting caught into that that's situation. Right. I think Ogundeji's played better the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Clearly, Isaiah Foskey is a, is a difference maker mm-hmm. uh, for them. I'd like to think that what Dalen Hayes did against Georgia Tech is a trend in, in a positive direction, but I don't really believe that that's – True. I think he was unblocked. I think he was unblocked a few times. I think he had a big, slowish freshman right tackle for mm-hmm. Georgia Tech that he got around. But great for Dalen Hayes because Dalen Hayes is a leader on this team. Um, he had a huge game. He made plays, but I just don't. I don't. I don't think that's going to show up this week against an opponent like Clemson. Well, and you talked about their pass rush earlier. They've given up 11 sacks in seven games. Five of them came in their first two games of the year. You know, when you, when you look at Clemson and I believe Citadel 
had a couple sacks on. No, um, sorry, first two ACC games of the year, the uh, Virginia in their third game, so third game overall. Since then, they've been pretty good yeah. in pass protection. I, I do think matchup wise, I'm really curious to see how they do against Jordan McFadden, the right tackle. I think he's a good player. He's athletic, but he's not super long. Uh, and I think that is where you could see an Ogundiji have some advantages. Right. And I think he's a guy that has to make plays. I think Dalen this game, I'm not expecting Dalen to be a big uh, pass rusher in this game. I, it would be nice if this was kind of the, the confidence builder he needs after five years to, you know, turn his, his talent into production. But I don't think that's who you need Dalen Hayes to be. I, it's nice when you get it, but he needs to defend the, the backside of the run. He needs to drop into coverage, take away the quick game, the, you know, that all-around game. Ogundiji's the guy to me that on first and second down needs to have sort of a Boston college, you know, type of game like he had last yeah. year where he just used his power moves against, you know, some good tackles, but not really super long tackles on Tyler Vrabel. Uh, and I, and I think Petrula was, I think a tackle in that guy. I forget who their other tackle was. And I think it was Petru, Ben Petrula who's moved since moved inside, but that he needs now that breakout game. I think he could, he could see Dalen had two great pass rushes, three great pass rushes, but he wasn't a consistent pass rusher through the game. Ogundiji, to me, can be more of a consistently disruptive player against the pass. And I think he's I starting agree. to I, get there. I think, but he's, he needs started, to take that I think he's starting to ascend here. And so if you mm -hmm. can match him up with, with Foskey, I'm a little surprised, and maybe you've seen this on film and I've missed it, but, you know, in the past, they would slip Dalen Hayes inside in a pass rush yeah. situation. And I think he's better there because mm -hmm. he's more – you know, he's not a great pass rusher per mm -hmm. se. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm surprised they haven't done that a little bit more. But um, I did want to talk about the offensive line. I think you and I might have talked about this earlier this week that I think, I think Notre Dame's offensive line, I think Notre Dame has a better chance of running the ball successfully against Clemson than they did against Pittsburgh. I agree. I think, I think both personnel-wise and schematically. I did a recruiting comparison article earlier this week, and you, you look at Notre Dame's recruiting against Clemson's Notre Dame's offensive line against Clemson's defensive line. And you look at it and you say, well, yeah, they've got the same talent that they had in 2018. And, and I would say that's true. The difference is that was senior version of Clellan Farrell, junior version of Dexter Lawrence, you know, senior, right. That was a veteran yeah. group of players. This is freshman miles Murphy, freshman, Brian breezy, sophomore Tyler Davis, who's been banged up all year. So, and, and I also think the other thing too, is they're not as good at, at linebacker this year and especially with Skalski gone because Skalski was that's the one thing he could to do play do you know if Jones is going they to play say this he week? is um but he's I just don't you know he he's not going to be 100 percent. neither is Tyler Davis yeah and and so I think this is a game to your point Tim where you've got a big physical veteran offensive line that in every game except the Georgia Tech game has played like a big physical offensive line they need to be at their best because if they can establish the run early and force Clemson because here's the thing in, in 2018, if you go back and watch the game and break the stats down, Notre Dame had an efficient run on six of their first 10 carries that game. You know, Dexter Williams had a nice run. I remember Jafar Armstrong had a really nice right. second down run where they just kind of moved the pile. They just pushed Clemson off the ball. But after about three series, Clemson realized the quarterback's not going to throw the ball downfield, and they just loaded the box. If you, can, if you can do something like that early on where you can establish some of the run game and force Clemson to – because you've seen the film, Tim, when Clemson starts feeling threatened, like their front four can't stop, it's start inserting the linebackers, yeah. start inserting the safeties. Mm -hmm. And that's where you can get some big play opportunities. And that's what BC did to them early last week. 
you know, BC exposed their vulnerabilities on the back end of the defense. They have safeties and they have corners that can be beat. And I do think Notre Dame has personnel that's good enough to make plays. I don't think Javon McKinley's capable of having a, a Chase Claypool nine-catch 135 game, but he can make three or four big plays in this game. Ben Skoranek can make two or three, you know, chain-moving plays, but the tight end matchups. But those matchups don't work as well if if Clemson's not really – concerned about the fact that you're really pounding them and I think that's the key for me there's no doubt and that's I mean one if the if I think Tommy Reese I like the direction that Tommy Reese is going as offensive coordinator if there's anything that we know for relative uh, certainty through three six games it's that he will stick with the running game Mm -hmm. And, and this is a you have to do it in this game you're right they'll start bringing those linebackers you know in passing situations their linebackers get home. I, I don't. Notre Dame's puts pressure. They they don't they don't get home as often. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to concern yourself with that. But you you have to run the football. You have mm-hmm. to stick with the running game. And I think that they can do that. And I and I agree that on the back end um, of of the the Clemson defense, there's some vulnerability back there. I think Nolan Turner makes some plays. Um, and I like it. You mentioned Miles Murphy. I think Miles Murphy's going to be a really good player. I love his length. I love the way he moves and, and everything. Mm-hmm. But he but he is. He's a he's a true freshman. But mm-hmm. there are some inroads to be made there. And I think that um, you know, I think there's I think there's some eight, ten, twelve yard runs in Notre Dame's mm-hmm. game this weekend. There's going to have to be. And I think you have to be you have to be okay taking the the one yard gains and the one yard losses. And I think that's well, the big thing. Well, they were against Pittsburgh, so he right. will, he will in this right. game as well. I think the only time we didn't really see this team come out and really impose its will in the run game was last week against Georgia Tech, and I think that was on purpose. I think they were – that was a game where it was like, look, we know we, we know this is not a good team. We've got to get this part of our game going. Yeah. Let's, let's really yeah. try to be intentional with throwing the ball. I had no problem with that. I, I think like that you said with the pit game is because eventually you're going to get that big play. Because to your point, I don't think Clemson is as good against the run as, as Pitt is. Uh, because number one, I don't think Clemson's safeties are as good against the run as Pitts were. Uh, and I also think that, that Rashad Weaver is not the, the pro prospect he's that stiff, Miles Murphy is. He is, but he's a grown man. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Patrick Jones is a grown man. Those are fifth year seniors that have grown man strength. Miles Murphy is still getting by on just God gave him yeah. a lot of gifts that he doesn't yeah. give a whole lot of people. Yeah, no doubt. And, and that's where I think this, this advantage can be done. And it's also, those guys know that defense, Patrick Jones and Rashad. I mean, they just don't make mistakes to beat pit that pit, the run game. You have to, you have to just beat them. Clemson will uh, with a young group, they'll hit the wrong gaps. They'll, they'll slant and, and, and maybe not use the right technique and get washed up. And if you're, if you, if you abandon the run, cause it's just not working in the first quarter, you lose those opportunities. If if Coach Reese is able to stick with those things, which I think, as you, to your point, he's that's the one thing we've seen him yeah. do all year. Even times when I would, you know, it's it's kind of like you know you can never win with with people like me. Is in the past, like you know, gosh, I got to run the ball more. And then I was like, hey, can we throw it a couple times? You know, but, <laughs> but you're always looking for things that you know. I'm an yeah. analyst, right? You got to analyze. But right. but I I've appreciated his willingness to say, hey, look, even though if the you know Louisville is another example where they weren't really killing Louisville early with the run game, but they kept pounding it. Georgia Tech, I thought, was one of the worst rushing performance of the season just how I graded the lineman out but you know what those last two drives they just started pushing Georgia Tech around you stick with it and then that one time that they make that mistake you got a run play called and, and you've got Chris Tyree in the game and that's the one where you crease for a 70-yard gain yeah and I you think know, that's what they need to do 
one of the most impressive things so far is just how good they've been on third and short. I mean, yeah. that, that's been a problem for Notre Dame in recent years. Even against Pitt. Yeah. They converted it, oh, two I'm, third and yeah, ones against absolutely, Pitt. Absolutely. Uh, but I, there, I do want to say this, and I think, you know, under Tommy Reese, I mean, the offense, the, the pace of the offense has really slowed down. The whole, the, yeah. whole, the whole line of thinking about tempo under Chip Long is gone. And, and, and to me, that's a little concerning against Clemson because mm-hmm. you know what Brett Venables likes to do. He likes to change what he's doing right up until the snap of the football. And by not playing tempo, I think you play into their hands a little bit. Now, you can't. You know, Notre Dame is, they are who they are. They're six games into it, and this is the path that they're going. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love seeing Notre Dame being a, a, a quality running football team. But mm-hmm. I do think that not having tempo helps Brett Venables because he can do what he does best, and that is make alterations right up until the very snap of the football. And also, I think we saw some of that from Pitt as well. Brent Venables and Pat Narduzzi are different they have different schemes, but they have, they have similar philosophies in that they want to show you a lot of stuff. They're going to bring different guys from different places all over the place, and it, but it's sound. It's not like John Tenuta aggressiveness. It's sound aggressiveness. I knew that would get a rise out. My guy. My guy. <laughs> and, and, and to your point, it's, it's, you, you see him coaching on a side. I mean, you know, the, guy, the get-back coach is constantly pulling him off because he's making checks, he's seeing everything. And you're giving teams the ability to, to do that, and that is a concern for me in this game. And, and that's why I feel like I'm okay with the team that doesn't want to push the tempo. However, if you're going to do that, we need to see more um, diversity within, within how you move pre-snap. You've got to do a few more things. I thought they were very effective with that. I thought, I thought we saw some of that against Pitt, against Georgia Tech last week, you know, with using Chris Tyree on some of those smokes yeah. uh, when they're running inside zone. And then when, when, Pitt, when Georgia <laughs> Tech didn't – and this is one of the, the best sequences I think Tommy Reese had all year was they ran an outside zone to the right and they smoked Chris Tyree on the reverse fake and Georgia Tech didn't react to it. So what does Tommy Reese do on the very next play? He runs a reverse and goes for 21 yards. I mean, yeah. that, that's the kind of thing you need to have. That's the kind of opportunity you need to have against, against Clemson. Because if you, if you, the reason I, I think it was so important is if you wait till you get to the sideline to say, hey, we need to take advantage of that, you're missing your opportunity because the yeah. coaches up in the box are going to see, hey, they ran a reverse, they, they faked a reverse and we didn't respond to it and they're going to correct it. So then when you go to the reverse, they're going to have a plate. Yeah. Those are the kind of things that you're going to have to have in this chess match from a coaching standpoint and, and and I think that part of what they should really think about doing because look every coach in America whether you're slow or fast works on two-minute drill every week so you have the ability to go fast if you need it they haven't used it in the game but I know they practice it every Thursday I think it would be smart to to to, to throw a couple series out at, temp, at Clemson where they do push it and I think that would I think the person who would benefit the most from it is Ian Book because I think not going tempo hurts him more than it hurts anybody else because I think Ian book, the more you put on his shoulders from a pre-snap read post-snap checks, you know, I've, this receiver is going to have these three different options on this play. And I, the, when he was at his best, if you go, I've said this, if Ian book played in 2018 or 2019, like he did his first five starts of 2018, the, the, nobody beats Notre Dame on their regular season schedule. I hear you. Tim O'Malley, Tim O'Malley for uh, Irish Illustrated uh, rated the top performances by Ian Book, and a bunch of them came right in the very beginning. It was Wake the- Forest, Stanford. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's- Because it was hit your drop and throw the out cut. 
hit your drop and throw the corner. It was, it was push the tempo. You, you had a young first time starting quarterback. We're not going to ask him to do a lot of different things. And again, it's a, it's a theme we've seen in the last 11 years that the longer quarterbacks are in Brian Kelly's system, this, the, the, just the less effective they are. That's just, I mean, there's, there's really no disputing that that's just the data. And I think a part of it is because they do so much, they ask so much. And this would be one of those games where say, Hey, let's not, let's not think that we have to just outsmart them the entire time we've got dudes. And this is the biggest difference in my opinion, between the 2018 and the 2020 matchup. And, and, and I'm curious if you, if you see it this way too, this is the first time that Notre Dame has gone against a, a team like this since 2015, that team was different. That team could match up with anybody skill wise. This is the first time since 2017 that I look at Notre Dame's dudes and I look at the other team's dudes and I say, yeah, you match up pretty well. When you consider experience and, and all the different thing, things, and, and you don't necessarily have to outsmart them for 60 minutes. you got to coach well, but at, at some point in time, you've got to rely on, hey, we got two really good tight ends. Let's, let's put them in opportunities to go be better than the dudes across from them. Yeah. Javon well, McKinley can play. You know? And you have let, this let offensive line. You've got to take advantage of this right. offensive line. And, right. and, 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 I, and that's why I do think – I think Notre Dame's offensive front, including the tight ends, matches up pretty damn well with the yeah. front seven of, of Clemson. So, but wide receivers have to win one-on-one matchups. Right. I do believe that Brent Venables is going to do everything he can to take Michael Mayer away mm-hmm. and to take away the easy access throws for Ian mm-hmm. Book. So now you're talking about Skoranek and McKinley. You know, McKinley, but let's face it, McKinley's not as best when somebody's pressing him. Most no. receivers aren't at no. their best. Mm-mm. When somebody's pressing him, but he's going to have to win one-on-one matchups. Yeah. And I, 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 I thought he was very proactive against Georgia Tech. I like the way he was getting into his routes. I like the way he was getting off the line of scrimmage. And I think he has to play the aggressor. I know Skronik will, and Skronik's got a good, you know, he's 6'3", 230. So mm-hmm. he's got to win some one-on-one matchups. And I really think that Avery Davis is starting to emerge. And Davis is a guy that could get the kind of matchup that you could – really benefit from whether it be a linebacker or a safety I think he needs to have a big game this weekend as well I think the key for me is Tommy Trumbull and the reason I say that is you're going to run a lot of 12 personnel in this game you have to be able to threaten them with the pass in 12 personnel because to your point you have a great offensive line but if if those six guys are having to block seven or eight every play then then you're not going to be as successful yeah. You ha- and one way that to do that is you've got this really athletic 6'3 and a half, 240 plus pound kid that's pretty athletic that when you were targeting him in the first couple games, looked look pretty good. He's going to be in a lot of favorable matchups, in my opinion. And I know he's a great blocker and they're using him to block a lot. But to me, I think you're missing an opportunity because here, here's the way you look at it, Tim. And you say, OK, they're, they're going to be good at getting the pressure on us. Right. So if, if, if you can establish run game. Clemson is going to say, okay, we're going to, we're going to heat you up, which is what they did in 2018. We're going to bring numbers. We're going to load the box. Well, there's two ways you can, you can attack that with the pass game. One is to max pro. You have a tight end in and your back end and try to beat you with three receivers. <laughs> well, to your point, they're going to take Michael Mayer schematically out of the game. And I don't know if you can beat Clemson with putting the game on the shoulders of Javon McKinley and Ben Skronik, especially Ben Skronik as an outside receiver. And that's a different conversation. I think you need to find a way to steal points. And one is Tommy Trumbull and the other is the back. So the other way to attack that is to free release. 
you know, have Tommy do a quick pass set on those blitzes and then slide right behind him, steal some yards, you know, uh, do what, do what uh, Clemson did against, against uh, Boston College, do what Georgia Tech did to Notre Dame. Notre Dame was heating them up. They just ran a running back on a wheel and Jeremiah Wusu doesn't peel in 30 yard, 30 yard game. Yeah. Boy, Jameer so, Gibbs is going to be good, huh? He's already oh, great. He is a dude. He's I'll really tell you what, I, I like what they're doing there. Even yeah. though they got their butts kicked this game and against BC, they competed, and I like what they're doing there. But he, he's a yeah. dude. But no, I think, I think you make a great point about Tommy Tremble. I, I think you're absolutely correct. I think they're got to be used more. Yeah, I, it, it, especially this game because I do mm-hmm. think they're going to try to take Mayer away. You know, they're going to man up on the two whiteouts who might have difficulty with that. So I think it's a, a great opportunity for Tremble to have a big game. I think it's a great opportunity for Avery Davis to do things, mm-hmm. and and the screen game. You know, Tommy Reese. The times that Tommy Reese has dialed up the screen, I mean, they, they have been well-timed, well-called, well-placed screen passes. Your quarterback has to execute it. This is the type of game where Ian Book can't miss on a screen that looks like mm-hmm. it's going to get 75. Ian yeah. Book can't miss on the overthrow to tremble like he did against Georgia Tech, even though mm-hmm. he was under a little bit of duress. Mm-hmm. You've got to make those plays. If you don't make those plays, I mean, I think this is going to be – you know, you talk, You said 27-24. That's right around the, the, the score that I think I'm going to predict. I think it's that kind of game. Mm-hmm. And in a, you know, a game of two top five teams, it's going to turn on one play or two. And right. You can't miss Tommy Tremble. You can't, you can't miss uh, Kyron Williams when you've called it at the right time and it's perfectly mm-hmm. set up. And we've seen it, right? 2018. Let's go back to 2018. Second drive of the game. Defense does its job. They force Clemson into a pit, a punt. You get the ball at midfield. You call a pass play. Miles Boykin beats his guy. He's got a post route. At worst, you throw it, and it's first and goal. At best, it's a touchdown. And you're not gonna. You're gonna get about four or five chances like that a game. That's it against Clemson. You got to hit at least three of them. Mm-hmm. And and Clemson only had about four or five of those opportunities against Notre Dame, and they hit three of them. And that was the difference in the game. You know, I mean, it wasn't like Clemson was running wide open against Notre Dame the whole very game. Very deceptive 30 to 3. Right. You try to tell people that and they, you know, they brush you off. But right. The is, it was, that, that was a game of a handful of plays that made mm-hmm. a 27 point game. It was it, physically, it was played much closer right. than that. But the, the, the Clemson offense, when they had those four or five chances to make plays, made them more than they missed. And, and Notre Dame didn't. And there was other plays. Clay, play, uh, Chase Claypool was open on a play. There's a, a, I think it was a drag route where Michael o- Young could have been open when the game was still in yeah. You got to make those plays. And again, Ian Book's a lot more experienced now. I'm not. I'm. Just, but I'm making the point. You're not going to get a lot of those opportunities against Clemson. You got to take advantage. And I think it's also up to the coaches to say, okay, if they're going to game, they're going to have to quickly identify what's their plan to take away the run and what's their plan to take away Michael Mayer. And then they have to have quick counters for that. Okay, how can we use Michael Mayer to to influence them to get two guys here so we can get Tommy Tremble in a matchup? Because if Notre Dame can get Tommy Tremble in some matchups with Zandon Sanders and Nolan Turner down the field, that, that's that's where you got a chance to have some yeah. success. Yeah. Uh, and, and if you can get, for example, if you can get as good as like you talked about the linebackers hitting home against, then they're they're very good blitzers. And it doesn't matter who Brent Venables plays at linebacker, they're good blitzers because even Jake, even Jake Venables. Yes. Because they have a great coach. Right. And uh, you know, you have to be able to say, okay, how do we stop that beyond just asking our running backs who aren't great in pass protection to step up and block them? Okay. Let's make them pay for it. 
And I think when you go back to the 2015 game, in the second half, Notre Dame said, okay, they're heating us up. They're trying to shut down our run. We got to attack it. So what did Notre Dame do? They ran a wheel route, a free release wheel route that beat the blitz for a 50-yard touchdown. Their other two big plays were on crossing routes where they called it at the right time. Clemson was bringing an inside blitz, and they just banged one to Chris Brown, one to Will Fuller. You have to have a plan to say, okay, yes, we're going to have to block it sometimes, but sometimes we need to make them pay for it. Because if Clemson gets into a situation where, hey, I, I want a blitz here, but I don't want the, you know, Chris Tyree to another, run another seam route or Tommy, you know, Tommy Tremble to, to get, beat me with a screen play or something like that, you know, let's maybe we play him straight up. And now that's when the offensive line, if you get any, any doubt, in the defensive line or the linebackers from, from Clemson that they may do something behind me, then you have no chance at beating the Notre Dame offensive line. And so that's why I say the game plan has to do – you have to take what – this is what the best teams do. They don't say, well, they're really good here, so we just – we got to try to not get beat there. They say, they're really good here. How can we use that to our advantage? Mm-hmm. And that's the difference between winning a 27-24 game or losing a 27-24 yeah. game. Because no, I don't I see you. this game being like it was. To, I think the offense is going to be, play better because I think the offense matches up a lot. But they did not match up up front in that game. It was a bunch of first-year starters that were talented but weren't a great unit. You know, Bars had been hurt. Um, you know, you had Hainsey was, you know, red shirt, fret, or, or just a sophomore. Eichenberg was a first-year starter. Banks was, what, going into game seven as a starter. Right. Kramer right. had been benched at one point in time that year. That was not a great offensive line, and that was a great Clemson defensive line. I think you match up way better now. No, I and, agree. And you have to take advantage of it. The other side of the ball, Uyangale, it, it, his, his greatest ally, I mean, in accordance with Travis Etienne, is, you know, when you play Clemson with Etienne in the backfield, you better respect play action. <laughs> you have no choice but to respect play action. Yeah. I think that that – that helps him, but I mean, let's talk about the receivers a little bit because you know this is not—it's not Higgins and Mm-mm. it's not Higgins and Ross. I think Rogers has Mm-mm. has really stepped up his game. You know, it, you know where where ATN is so dangerous. Is good Lord coming out of the backfield when you? I throw think the that's ball. why he came back. I think that was a big part of the reason he yeah, came back. I think back that was year. a big part. I know they lost the national championship game too. I don't know, maybe that played, but yeah, I think so too. He started to make inroads as a receiver last year. But what's so impressive about him is when he you know, when he swings out and you get him the football, he gets his shoulder square to the line of scrimmage and, and he's in full speed mm-hmm. a split second after he has caught the football. And so mm-hmm. uh, I think Owusu Koromoa commented the other day that he was lined up as the number one, you know, receiver uh, a, a couple times. I don't know if it was BC or, or another game. So he's really dangerous. But that's what Uyangalele's greatest – asset is is the, the the ability to play action and force a defense to respect that with etn and then you know are the is cornell powell you know up to that level uh, you know he's he's not brandon you know brandon specter um you know he's not i do like their tight ends mm-hmm. galloway and davis ellen are mm-hmm. a real threat for galloway them. especially is really really stepped up as a as a big yeah. play weapon for their yeah, pass and game. they've used Ellen they've used Ellen in the red zone a little bit so mm-hmm. you know I, I they're better at tight end than they were they're not as good as they were at at wide receiver and it's going to be um you know it's going to be a, a good challenge for Nordame's corners and and uh you know I really like the way that what what Sean Crawford has done 
in in pairing up with uh, with Kyle Hamilton. You're going to talk about the odd couple back there, six four, and, six four and five nine. But Crawford one's thirty two years old. One's still yeah. a kid. You know, <laughs> one's still a teenager. Yeah, one, yeah, um, yeah. But you know, I so that'll be interesting. Interesting to see uh, Cornell uh, Paul has really started to come on for them. He's they run a lot of slants with him. He's difficult to contain. Slants are difficult to contain for anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it'd be interesting to see how much pressure they can, they can put on Uyangalele because I really do like the pass-blocking ability mm-hmm. of, of Clemson's offensive line. I think, think the – What do you think Notre Dame does defensively to, to try to get a young quarterback to – I think it's a, it's, it's gotta be a twofold approach. And the first one is you have to get some hits on them early. I think that's a big key. I think you have to figure out ways that you can use Jeremiah Wusu and Kyle Hamilton. Uh, to, you know, maybe even drew white. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's your, game. maybe Shane, maybe this is a game where you can really utilize Shane Simon in that regard. You know, maybe you put Kyle Hamilton in the boundary, uh, let him kind of take away some of those quick throws, you know, so they're not banging those boundary slants behind the blitz. And you'd say, okay, what's the one thing Shane Simon is – his most impressive plays this year have been on designed pressures, either run stunts or blitzes. Yeah, they're sending Bauer a lot too. Right. So, so maybe you can use some of those to try to hit home because you have to hit them early, but you also can't just blitz them all game and, and because eventually they're going to hit Amari Rodgers on a, on a screen or an under route. They're really good at, at finding ways to attack your pressures if you're just blitzing all the yeah. time. But think about I, what – you know, Brian, think about what – I referenced this today, you know, in, in some respects, Louisville, you know, you had the great running back. You got mm-hmm. a couple wide receivers. You got Atwell is kind of similar to Rodgers. Um, they use Marshawn Ford differently than Clemson uses their tight ends. But there were some similarities there in personnel. And Notre Dame took those guys away. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have veteran, you know, they have more veteran quarterback than certainly Clemson's going to run out there. I think Clemson has a, a more talented one, but to your point, yes. But that's the second part of what I think they need to do, though, Tim, is you have to make him – it's the same concept that I just talked about with the front seven of, of Clemson. The more things you can do to get him to, to, to be uncertain of what's happening, the better. So if you just line up and you show pressers and you bring pressures, you may get him a couple of times. So he's going to start banging stuff behind you. He's going to start making those throws. And they're going to, they're going to call enough good plays because I really like this offensive staff at Clemson. I think they're really good. Even without Jeff Scott, I think they're a really good staff. Um, they know how to take advantage of things you're doing to try to, 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 to limit them. Most teams don't have the talent that Notre Dame does. And I think the, the thing that they have that, that I'm actually a little surprised that they have I've been surprised at how well their corners have played this year. Even Nick McLeod, he's, he's getting, he's gotten beat twice the last two weeks on deep balls. They were both were like, if they don't, if that guy doesn't throw a perfect ball, it's not getting completed. I mean, sometimes that's just going to happen, right? They're going to make good plays, but when they've played good receivers, to your point, I think Tutu Atwell and Des Fitzpatrick are an outstanding one-two punch at receiver. They, they pretty much outside of one play shut Jordan Addison down, who's, who's a solid player. I think Notre Dame has actually done a good job of – I actually think Georgia Tech's receivers are a lot better than people, people realize. I thought they had really good size and athleticism at, at that position. And, and then, of course, Tamori and Terry uh, was – I mean, so they faced some very good receivers no, this right. year. You're right. And they're still one of the best – you know, pass defenses in the country. And that's been the big surprise for me is that they've made these dramatic improvements on the run defense without sacrificing, still being really good against the pass. That's, a, that's I so mean, important. That's the, that's the greatness of Clark Lee. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that yeah. I, that's, it's also I, personnel though, too. I mean, I, I, I because 
a lot of teams, I mean, you have to be able to, you have to be able to have the guys to execute that too. I mean, you have to have the secondary that, you know, like you said, Sean Crawford, I thought he struggled early in the season. I think he's gotten better and better as he's gotten more and more comfortable at safety when you have an eraser like Kyle Hamilton, but the corners also have to be, they don't have to be great first round picks, but they have to be guys that don't get beat and don't make bad plays, make them earn it. If a team has to earn it against you, then they're going to get a play or two, but overall you're going to be able to shut them down. And I think that's been a big part of it too is you just don't see this defense making big mistakes, Tim. You don't see them turning guys loose. I mean, you watch the Big 12, you know, you're going to see more of that in one quarter than you will see from Notre Dame over an entire season. You just – you don't Louisville. see that a whole lot. Guys, you saw Louisville. I mean, yeah. guys is Louisville turn oh loose. Just the two plays in a row against Miami, and that's more than oh what we've God. seen from Notre Dame. Getting, but that's the genius of Clark Lee. But I think the best part about Clark Lee and his staff as a whole is they're so good at taking the schemes, but then getting their players to be able to execute it with a high level of confidence and efficiency. And that's why I think <coughs> this Notre Dame team, even though they don't have a lot of elite first-round NFL draft pick-type athletes, the guys they do have maximize the athleticism they have because there isn't a lot of thinking and guessing. Yeah. It's <clears throat> you play hard, this is your job, go do it 100 miles an hour. And, and that's where the whole the team defense <coughs> part comes into it. But – you have to be able to, at some point in time, generate four-man pressures. Because after a half, when they go into the locker room and they are able to make adjustments, get on the board and figure out what you're doing, they're going to have answers. And at some point in time in a game like this, Tim, the defensive line that can produce the most pressures with just their front is going to have the chance to make the most plays and the most stops that are going to be the difference, in my opinion, when, this, when we get down to the fourth quarter. Which uh so which of those two defensive lines do you think have the best chance of doing that? I think the Notre Dame defensive line has the best chance of doing that because I think the, the, the matchup is, is – I think they're better than the Clemson offensive line, whereas I don't think the Clemson okay. defensive line is better than the Notre yeah, Dame gotcha. offensive line. I agree. So, so matchup-wise, <laughs> I think the Clemson defensive line would have a lot of success against their own offensive line. And, and yeah. when I look at Clemson, and they have been a very good pass rushing team, but I also look at it and I say – I don't know if they've played a good team, a team that's really good at rushing the quarterback either. And the best defensive end they played all year was Carlos Basham in the opener, and they, you know, they had three sacks that game. Yeah. So now again, that was game one. Uh, Notre Dame's offensive line didn't look that great in game one either. Uh, but I, I do think it's a good unit that's well coached, but it's also not a unit that has a bunch of future first round draft picks on it. It's yeah. a lot like their, their, you know, the, the, the offensive line, I think, that they had back in 20, 2016 and 2015. It was a lot of the same guys they had in 17 and 18, but they were younger players kind of. Yeah. And so you could have some success against them. So I, I, that's when you, you mentioned early, Adi Ogandiji has to, has to step up. Yeah. Uh, Myron Tungavalo, who I think has played pretty well the last two weeks since he's come back into the lineup, I think has, has played well. You've, you've got to find ways to get Jason Adamiola going in the pass rush like he did against Pitt. You know, you have, to, you, have to find, you have to find ways to get allow Isaiah Foskey to just say, pin your ears back and go, kid. You know, because at some point in time, Tim, if you're not able to generate a pass rush with your front four, eventually – Clemson's going to find answers that's going to give them opportunities to make. Yeah, them. I would agree. And I think in a game like this, although you got to be careful with ETN, but you got to get Foskey on the field. Mm -hmm. If you're not, if you're not going to move Hayes inside like they've done in the past, you've got to get Foskey on the field with him and Ogundeji rushing mm -hmm. uh, from the edge. I think that's going to be really, really important. You know, talking about the secondary, it was it, one real huge advantage for uh 
for Clark Lee was he, he got a ready-made starting mm-hmm. boundary uh, uh, cornerback in, the, in, in McLeod mm-hmm. uh, that he could just insert in there. Now, I think you know, McLeod's been battling a shoulder. I think, which game was it where he really just kind of threw a shoulder and a tackle attempt, and I thought it showed. It was, it was a few games ago, but it, it was great getting, getting him. And then Bracey's coming on, and I want to mm-hmm. see more of Clarence Lewis because I think that he has a lot of natural, um, you know, inclination and natural tendencies of a, of a cornerback that I think, um, you know, that, that is going to really show really well. But, man, they're not very deep at safety. I, I don't, mm-hmm. you, don't, you don't really feel good unless 20 and 14 are out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and then you just with Houston Griffith, it's it's just you just don't know which version of of Houston Griffith you're going to get from game to game. I mean, there's been two games this year where I graded him out pretty well, and then there's two games you're like he's a liability on the field, and and that's been that's been something that's hurt them because it's limited their ability to go nickel and and be able to match up the same yeah, way yeah. in coverage as they do when they're in their base defense. Yeah, I, you know, DJ Brown, I think you know DJ Brown's had like an opportunity for two or three picks oh, yeah. if he makes a couple of those yeah. plays. And we view him very differently. Uh, you know, I know he's a guy that he's a pretty heady guy and he knows what he should be doing and where he should be. But you, they've left a lot of interceptions yeah. on the field Absolutely. in six games, man. Jeez. Absolutely. They need, whatever they're doing in their, their interception circuit is not working. They're going to have to alter that. But, you know, but this is the game where you say, okay, is this the game where, you, you know, you start to make some of those plays? And, yeah. and, Tim, that's really when we get down to it to win these big games, those are the plays you need. You, you need some sort of game-changing play where a guy steps up and says, hey, I'm going to make this play. You know, and, and things like that are what broke the game open against Pitt. I mean, that was a competitive 14-3, to you know, grinded out game, and then Bo Bauer steps up and makes a play. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll tell you what, one of the – you know, I've, over the years I've had a lot of questionable – I've had a lot of uh, opportunities to question decisions Brian Kelly makes in, in end of game or end of half or two-point conversion types of things. But I thought his, his timeout at the end of the Pitt game or in into the pit first half to set up a punt return or in, in a punt block was one of those. That's the kind of, that's the kind of thing you need. You need someone to make that pick. You need someone to, you know, strip, you know, when, instead of, yeah. if you're not going to get a sack, you know, do the strip, you know, knock the ball out. And I know they practice those things. You know, somebody's got to make that big catch on a third and 10. Like you, know, you think of the LSU game in third, you know, in 2017 where miles Boykin just, you know, we all talk about the the touchdown pass, but, the catch he made on third and 19 against double coverage, the big catch at the end doesn't happen if he doesn't make that yep. third and 19. Yep. And we need, and that's the other thing, Notre Dame needs Ian Book to kind of have that same kind of, of we've seen two different versions of Ian Book the last two weeks, Tim. We've seen an Ian Book that, that had a low completion percentage but battled and took his chances and gave his guys a chance to make plays, and they, they rewarded him for it. And then we saw an Ian Book that was completely unwilling to do that exact same thing for all but maybe one or two throws against Georgia Tech. He has to realize, look, you're the underdog, right? The pressure's not on you. The pressure's on Clemson, right? He has to have that mentality and say, just give you, just, just battle. Just, if, if you take a chance and they pick you off, that's better than taking a sack, you know what I mean, like on third down. Like you've got to be willing to make those plays because we're talking about the corners at Notre Dame. Look, DJ – I'm called DJ. DJ is going to take his chances. He's going to throw the ball up, and and the Notre Dame corners and secondary players are going to have to battle for those, and they're going to have to make some plays. Yeah. 
Ian Book needs to put the Clemson secondary in the same type of situations, and he needs to put his guys in up in situations to make those plays. Because I think he has he has enough guys that have proven they can make those plays. I, I wrote an article last week, Tim. I think we've seen everything, just about everything we need to see from the Notre Dame pass game for it to be really good. It's just it's never been in the same game. <laughs> you know, we've seen times where the tight ends took over. Javon McKinley's had some big games. Yes. Chronic's had some big games. The running backs are starting to emerge a little bit more. Right, but it's, it's never been at the like – expense of Tommy Tremble. Yeah, right. I, no, I get it. Right. It's got to all be at once, and I think this is the kind of game where they're going to need to do that, where – you're, you can't just have one guy making plays on offense. You need Javon to make a play. You need Tommy Trumbull to make a play. Yeah. You need Avery Davis, who I think has been – you know, I think that's something their pass game is missing. I think part of the reason they're so good on third down, Tim, is they're very intentional on third down. This is the ISO – this is the matchup we want. We're going to motion. We're going to do this to get Avery, you know, trailing and do the out cut like you had again. They need to kind of have a similar mindset on first and second down. Hey, we really want to get Tommy in this matchup against this safety, so let's use our, our personnel, our formations. We know what Brent Venable is going to do and to, to do those things. And then Tommy, at some, at, at, at some point in time, Ian Book has to, has to be willing to make those throws, and then when he does it, they got to step up. Because if they don't do plays like that, they're not just going to grind their way to a win over Clemson, unless the defense can force like you know three or four turnovers. Which could happen because you have the young quarterback. Maybe we can put a bow on this conversation, Brian, by, you know, I mean, I just, you you talk about Ian Book. It's just so disappointing how from week to week, it's like he has to, he has to reinvent the wheel again. He has to like regain his confidence Mm -hmm. from, from one week to the next. And he's making his, I believe his 30th start this weekend. Mm -hmm. And we should be well beyond that. And I hate to, I hate to say this comes down to, you know, I mean, there's too many moving parts out there to say that it comes down to one guy. But let's, you know, Ian Book has to play like a championship quarterback in order to beat the number one team in the nation. Yeah. I don't care if Clemson has ETN or they don't have Lawrence or they, you know, they don't have ETN. I mean, in a game like this, in order to beat the number one team, because Clemson's well-conditioned, and you want to talk about next man in. I mean, they're well-conditioned mm-hmm. on next man in, maybe not always with – well, they have one when – when uh, when Lawrence was out, they did it with mm-hmm. with uh, with Chase Bryce. So, mm-hmm. um, or is it Bryce Chase? I never Chase get Bryce. It. And, Chase and, Bryce. And this kid's a whole lot more talented than Chase. There's Bryce no, was. There's, no, there's absolutely no no doubt about that. So, you know, Ian Book, look, I, you got you got to be a championship level quarterback this weekend. Mm-hmm. Could Ian Book play great and Notre Dame still lose? Yeah, that's possible. Uh, but they can't win if Ian Book doesn't play great. I, no, I, I think, think that's, that's a, the thing. Yeah, I think that's a good, good, uh, good way of putting it. And but I do, but I think if he plays great, I think the other components will fall into place. I agree, and, and I think when he plays well, especially when he starts off early, I think it kind of gives his. You, you you can tell that he's a well liked and well respected part of the football team because when he plays well, you can just see how the players react to him when he makes a play. And so I think it is important that, that a big part of the game plan is, yes, you need to run the ball, but you have to figure out a way to get Ian Book rolling early. Screen game, quick throws, running him, you know, different things where maybe you move him, uh, you know, out of the pocket. Maybe you, you take a play-action shot where he doesn't have to make a read early in the game. You know, it's, there, there, there needs to be some things like that because when Ian Book starts well and, and makes a – you know, and I, I think that third down play on the first drive against Ben Skoranek – 
when he stepped into the pocket and made that throw for the time. That was one of the best plays Ian Book's ever made because yeah. he, he stepped up, he kept his eyes downfield, and he just, you know, he gave his guy a chance to make a play. If you can get him with that type of mindset early on, Tim, I think he'll be fine. Now, what we've also seen from Ian is if he starts off and he's, and he's not in a good rhythm, he has a hard time getting out of that. At least he has recently. Well, I thought he right. did a better that's job right. of that early in his career. He can't get outside of his own head sometimes, right. so to speak, to use the phrase. I, right. one, of the, one thing I'm concerned about is that, you know, and he's really since the first couple of games when he was, didn't seem very inclined to run or they, they weren't doing all, you know, read option mm-hmm. stuff. But, he, but he's really picked his spots when to, when to get out of dodge and get upfield. Mm-hmm. I'm concerned for Notre Dame's offense that Venables is going to be. That is something that they're really going to take away, that escape yeah. route, that exit route where, uh, you know, Book can keep, keep the chains moving and keep the offense yeah. on the field. And we talked about tempo. Um, you know, this is now, if you can, if you can be effective offensively playing that, the playing a more deliberate game and keeping Clemson's offense off the field, Notre Dame has suddenly become, you know, they're a time of possession team. Who, who would have ever thought Brian Kelly was his last year at Cincinnati. He was I just think he does this stuff country. to just mess with us, Tim. I, I, I just like, well, you know, you guys used to complain about time of possession. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to go on a 15-play, <laughs> nine-and-a-half-minute I love that. Yeah, I love that, but I'm an old-timer, and, I, yeah. you know, I remember when – I hate it against Georgia Tech. I love it against Clemson. I mean, if they go – if they take the first drive of the game, 15 plays, 81 yards, <laughs> not at eight yeah, minutes that, on the clock. That bodes, that bodes well. Great job. Yeah, absolutely yeah. great job. No, you you but you were talking about I'm sorry Tim, you were you were talking about how um the tempo and and uh just Ian Book and and uh running and things and Brent Venables taking it away. That's where you were talking before. Yeah, I, I you know, I think that he I, I think he did that 2 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that when you when you take that part of Notre Dame's offense slash Ian Book's game away, it's a lot more problematic because think about how many how many conversion third down conversions in the last few weeks have been Ian book with his feet, which hey, it's fair. Those count too. Mm-hmm. I'm not I think a lot of times Nordane fans are like, Oh, he had to scramble to get the first down. Well, that, that you know, that's offense. It's part that's of part it. Of You're allowed, it's legal. You're allowed yeah. to do that. And that's an asset of his. So, um, yeah, I, I think Nordane fans, don't give Ian Book nearly enough credit for what he does with his feet mm-hmm. because he's he's brilliant when it comes to yeah. that. I think it's going to be hard against Clemson because Venables is going to have an eye out for that, just like he did two years ago. I think what Brent Venables is going to see on film is this. When teams try to pass rush the Notre Dame tackles off the edge and beat them off the, off the edge, they rarely do. And if they even do, the, the offensive tackles at Notre Dame are very good at just riding you outside. And now you've got these run lanes for Ian Book to step into. And that's where he can be dangerous. And, and what he's also going to see is in the past when they've played teams that are very good at kind of keeping their pass rush condensed, and maybe they take a wider edge rush where they're willing to get blocked and more of a power rush, you know, where maybe you, you drive a guy back into the, the quarterback. When Ian Book has to escape out, he's not nearly as comfortable. He's not nearly effective. When Ian Book is good – it's when he's stepping into the pocket and he's keeping his eyes downfield. When he gets rushed is when that pressure comes right in his face. And, and then that's true see, of a lot of quarterbacks. Six foot, he's six foot one. He can't right. see down the middle of the field. And, and he starts – that's when his eyes go down on the pass rush and he, and he spins out. And, and I think that his thing is, look, 
I don't, I'm going to make Ian, look, I'm going to make Ian Book beat me sitting in the pocket, throwing the ball downfield. I'm going to, I'm not worried about necessarily rushing him and getting a bunch of sacks because this is a really good offensive line. But what we're not going to do is we're not going to run our wide rushes and we're not going to let him step into the pocket and do one of two things. Either run, because like you said, Brett Venables will not underappreciate Ian Book's ability to make plays because he saw it again in 2018. He saw Ian Book against USC on that crucial third and 10, escaping out of the pocket and running the dude over, right? He saw Ian Book against Northwestern pull that ball at the end of the game and run in for the game-winning, you know, the game-clinching touchdown, right? So he's seen Ian Book for his whole career. When this kid's on at his best is when he's moving, and that helps him then as a thrower. So we're going to make this kid sit in the pocket and beat us down the field. We're not going to let him step up and run. We're not going to let him run that inside zone because if you – control the inside line scrimmage which when Notre Dame's offensive line has had issues this year it's been (coughs) right up the middle if you can stop them right up the middle they can't get the inside inside run game going and you're not letting Ian Book get step up into the pocket that's when then you start to say okay now do they have the weapons outside to make enough plays to beat you in that situation in 2018 they did in 2020 I don't think that they do and so that's why I think that the big key for Brent Venables is going to be Keep your pass rush lanes. And when they do blitz, it's going to be right up the middle. It's going to be right, right in his face. I totally, totally agree. I think that, I, I, that he, he definitely wants to, um, to use the term compress right. the pocket in the middle. I think he'll do that. And that's where Tommy Reese has to be able to say, okay, we know they're going to do this. What do we do to counter it? And it can't just be let's leave Tommy Tremble and Kyron Williams in the block. That's no, got to be part of it got, at times. You've got to make them pay for Correct. evacuating the second level of the defense. Correct. And in 2015, when the offense started getting going, that's exactly what they did. And we've seen other teams have success doing that against them. They need to be able to have that kind of level of success. And they need to be able to win some shots downfield. And they need to be able to create some of those big play opportunities. This needs to be a game where Kyron Williams catches the ball, where Chris Tyree is a legitimate weapon for you. Because – what you need is you need some of those game changers on the field. I think Tommy Tremble can be that kind of guy. Michael Mayer can be that kind of guy. I think Chris Tyree can be that kind of guy. Of the guys they still have left. I mean, look, Lindsey's not there. Kevin maybe Austin's Jafar Armstrong can be that kind of guy maybe, in the passing game. Maybe. I just I think Jafar Armstrong's a better pass catcher as a running back than he is I, as a Now I hear you. Well, we don't even know. You know, a lot of people said, and I'm going to have to wrap it up after this, Brian, but a lot of people said, well, just move Armstrong back to receiver. That's what he was as a freshman. He was a prep team. He never really was a receiver right. at Notre Dame. He never ran the Notre Dame offense from a receiver position. When he was successful doing that was in 2018, but it was in the slot. It was, yes. you know, we think Ball State, Navy. Back, yes. Correct. And, and you know, that as an X and a W, I, I just don't see that skill set, especially since he's kind of changed. Yeah, his, he's got more of a running back body now than he did when he was a freshman, you know, because he's a running back. So I don't know if he's the answer. I think it's you have the guys, right? It's Chris Tyree, it's 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 yeah. Tommy Tremble, it's Michael Mayer, and you got to use them. If Tommy Tremble can can if Tommy Reese, and this is where it comes down, wrap it up here, Tim. If Tommy Reese can say can have the mindset of this is what they're going to do to us, we have to have answers for it to where we make them pay for it, yeah, to make them stop doing it. Then I think that's where you're going to see Notre Dame be able to create some big plays. I and think I, I think Avery Davis is one of those guys this week. Yeah screens cross I mean he's been they've started to run a few more RPOs and he he's a guy that can catch the ball and turn a catch behind the line and do a nine ten yard game you start doing some of those eight nine yard gains on first down on second down that's how you can move the chains because the moving the chain sets up additional opportunities for you to hit that home run 
And that's the thing. So Tim, I appreciate you being on this with me. Absolutely. Love, love talking ball. First edition of the Irish crossover. Uh, we'll, we'll see if it, if we'll do a, a round two here one of these days. But uh, it, there was never going to be a better week than Notre Dame Clemson. <laughs> so even though it's not a big game, it is to us. <laughs> and we had a few we had a few ideas that we wanted to share with each other. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you can obviously find Tim at irishillustrated.com. You can find me at irishbreakdown.com. Uh, and, uh, of course, we will, uh, we will both have plenty to say after, after Saturday's game. I'll so, see you Saturday night in the press yes, box. Yes, sir. Sounds good. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, man. We'll